there's a couple of things uh, that I'm even thinking about doing prior to your even being announced. Listen, if if you at uh, 28 thought you were you were going to be able to be a manager, what what skills did you think you had then, or what skills did you think it took to be a manager at that age? Um, actually, I had done my apprenticeship uh, earlier on in the business um, as a musician from the age of about 14 till the age of 20, um, playing in all the local rock bands in New York City, um, recording. I had a, um, an, a recording deal with Epic Records. I recorded under the name of T.D. Valentine, uh, which when I listen to those records now, I know why they weren't hits. Um, so I had been through the creative side of the music business uh, from my early, early teenage years till about the age of 20 or 21. And at the age of 20, uh, I began to uh, promote records independently. Uh, I did independent promotion for some of the labels in New York. And then I took a job originally, my first real job in the business with a company was for it was MRC Music, Mercury Records Publishing Company, which literally six months later was acquired by Chapel Music when the whole Philip Siemens began to acquire Mercury, Chapel, and Polydor. So then what happened was I did my apprenticeship with Chapel Music. But what I did, I had a very unique situation there. <clears throat> the guy who ran the company, a fellow named Norm Weiser, really gave me the reins to do whatever I want. Uh, I ran like the contemporary division of music that they had at that time because it was really all the old-time writers. They didn't have any clue about rock and roll or anything like that. And some of the people that I ran across in the very beginning of my working there were Hall & Oates, who I made them sign to the company, uh, a group called Dr. Buzzard's Original Savannah Band, and another group called Odyssey. Okay? And what I did was I worked with those people on a day-to-day -day basis, even though that we were the publishers. I was helping them set up the record deals, helping them get bookings, helping them do all the things to promote their records. In essence, I was acting as a manager out of Chapel Music on Chapel Music's behalf because Chapel retained all the publishing. Did these people have any management? They really had nobody working on any of those things at the time. And then I was doing lots of other things as well. So at a certain point I said to myself, gee, this is really crazy. I'm doing all these details. I'm doing all this work. And around uh, about the time that I was about 25, I think, or 26, uh, I decided to leave Chapel Music. Uh, and when I left, uh, I opened up a management company, and I opened up a management company and managed Daryl Hall and John Oates and Dr. Buzzard's original Savannah Band and Odyssey and a few other things. And that's, that's really how it started. But I did the apprenticeship of the management routine and, and the trial and error of that, even way back from, from the creative days as a musician, right through the, the Chapel Music and Mercury Records and the independent promotion and all of those things, learning the business from the street level on up into developing some levels of sophistication early on in management in my early 20s. None of these acts had really happened as yet. Uh, what, what had happened was the, the day I decided to leave Chapel Music, uh, why I decided to leave Chapel Music is, Sarah, uh, is um, Hall & Oates' first hit, Sarah Smile, had broken. At that point, I said, this could probably, and I was only making like 20 $25,000 a year. I said, I could probably make at least that uh, by going in business for myself and, uh, and managing these acts. 
So that record had broken and gone all the way to number one, and I decided at that point, this is time to leave. And at the time, a guy named Ken Glancy, who was the president of RCA, was very, very friendly with me and was gracious enough to provide me with a, a blanket production deal, like a talent scout deal for RCA Records, which then also provided me with the financing to open an office and start a company. So you really didn't have to go bang the streets too much? I didn't have to bang the streets at all. It was basically all built in and set up. It worked out really well. Uh, was there any resentment for you in the industry, a young guy? Uh, well, I thought at that time that I knew it all. I had somewhat of a chip on my shoulder. Um, a lot of things, you know, uh, coming up from the ranks, you know, as like a street kid, uh, really thinking that you know things and really being wet behind the ears. When I look back on it, I made a lot of mistakes and I didn't know it all by any means. And I did some stupid things. And um, like opening my mouth when I shouldn't, uh, turning people off at times by being overly aggressive or, or uh, pushy in certain areas. And uh, I did some things that I had to regret later on, and I had to spend years patching up. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You have been that feisty? And I was really feisty, and... Um, you know, I thought that it would never end and all these acts I had would never stop having hit records and, you know, let the good times roll. But of course, uh, about uh, when I was around 29 or 30 years old, a rude awakening happened. Uh, the Savannah Band had broken up, Odyssey stopped having hit records, and Hall and & Oates had three number one records back to back, Sarah Smile, She's Gone and Rich Girl, and then their next four albums died completely died completely. They had no with, success. Uh, with um, not so well in the beginning and then um, I had a, a few good friends who helped me through it uh, uh, both emotionally and uh, basically I mean what I did was I held on to a lot of the money that we made in the good times so I was able to sustain through the bad times what fortunately. I would say, uh, let's see, I started in, um, let me see, 74. This was basically like 70, end of 77 through the end of 79, beginning of 1980. When things were not yeah. clicking at all. Two to three years. Dead. Two to three solid years of like very moderate uh, uh, success at all and just really scuffling to get back up to what looked like I was the genius whiz kid at age 26, 27. What happens to confidence? A, a manager is so much, in addition to being efficient and doing right. it, is so much a perception of what he is. Yeah. So what happens to you? Well, you get introspective. What you do is you start to mature a little bit, in my case. Um, you start to really realize what you are, what you do, what your role is, uh, that you are not the end-all. Uh, be all, say all, um, and you realize what that role is really as a manager per se. Uh, and really finding that out and realizing that, um, I felt that I had more to give, which then I tried to do other things as well, which you know I'm only always continually trying to do, uh, even to this day, because I just feel that I personally have a lot to give in the entertainment business as well as being a manager which is my first love like I really enjoy doing that 
for many different reasons. What's the downside of personal management? Well, um, forgetting personalities of the people you there's manage. no there's no thank yous. Yeah, <laughs> you're yeah. damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. Um, there, there's there's a slight amount of gratitude, um, but basically you're the guy in the hot seat at all times. You're 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 subject to the whims and the emotions 24 hours a day of your artist, uh, and you're also the guy that becomes the punching bag when things don't go right. You're the guy in the middle of the record company and all of the other people at all times, as you well know, uh, and you have to get beat up by the outside as well as the inside, which is supposed to be you're, you're on the same team, but the artist, you know, of course, you know, uh, always looks to you, that's right, always looks to you uh, before they look to themselves necessarily. You, you ever know. talk to other managers about the... All the time, all the time. And everyone goes through the same stuff. Oh, of course. Everyone. Everyone has the same stories. Uh, I am friendly with most of the managers in this business, and some of my stories pale by comparison to some of theirs, which I can't really discuss with you. Yes, no, I, but I mean, you know, you can imagine. I, I mean, some of these guys are subject to some very, you know, uh, tough things, tough situations where they have to constantly, uh, you know, be pampering people and stuff to the point of, you know, embarrassment almost. And then there is there is there a factor in management that when the act really makes it big, they uh, they resent your your making your money. Um, it may not have happened with you, but it. it uh, I've been fortunate in a sense of um, not having that happen to me yet. Although inwardly, I'm sure that they probably feel that you're getting paid too much because that's human nature. So I don't really hold it against them because I know if I have to pay fees to a certain extent and I'm making a lot of money, if I have to pay a lawyer or someone else, then I might resent it as well. So I can kind of understand it, uh, although if you're the guy, again, in the hot seat, then you don't appreciate it necessarily when that does happen. But I've been pretty fortunate uh, so far in that situation. And I, remember, had... I remember Cosby with Roy Silver. Yeah. It was unconscionable. Right. Roy Silver had really made no money with him for right. a long time. And right. Now things like that. Right. Right. I mean, in the case of Daryl Hall and John Oates, we've been together 16 years now. <clears throat> so it's beyond a manager-client situation. It's a, you know, like it's like a brother-to-brother -brother relationship. So it's, you know, it's a whole other ball game. How is it uh, when, a, when somebody leaves someone else and comes to you for management? Is that, uh, is that tricky? Yeah, well, you want to try to not make the mistakes that their prior manager made, certainly. And you want to try and do something more specialized for that artist uh, than they've had done in the past. And we do more specialized work here than anybody in the business does. What we do, nobody does in management anymore today. I mean, we handle every detail and aspect of marketing, merchandising, advertising, promotion, publicity. We do it all in-house. I built an organization that becomes an adjunct and a catalyst to the record company, and it's the artist's in-house situation so no one really does that per se today they may do a lot of direction in the artist's career and stuff like that but no one kind of has this organization and provides this kind of uh, service and function for the artist so I feel that we do something really special and unique and we try to implement that whether it be a new client or someone that we're working with all the time or whatever you know is there an ethic between managers about not recruiting uh clients from each other or going after clients? Or um, well, 
I wouldn't like to do anything that's unethical because it's a very small, tightly woven business. And when you get to a certain point, it becomes even smaller and more tightly woven. And if you mess up that harmony, then it's all over. You know, all you have as a manager is your reputation. And if you mar that or blow that for one minute, then you're pretty much out of the ball game, in my opinion. Although there are some unscrupulous managers that we all know. Uh, to be a personal manager, being show business, is a certain amount of ego, and I wonder what the frustration is. How you have to sublimate your own ego because you certainly can't show it around. You obviously have other avenues that you can show your skills and right. your creativity. Right. Uh, but how tough is it before you get to that point? You have to learn again. I think you have to, you know, you have to mature. When I when I was you know in my twenties, uh, my early twenties and my late teens and coming up in the ranks and learning. I was basically all driven, probably, the entire drive was all ego. Uh, I've mellowed and I've matured in the sense that I really don't feel that I'm driven or motivated by ego at all anymore. What I'm driven by is the ability to do this and perform this function for the artists, do it well, do it you know methodically and thoroughly, and that will in turn create more business for me and a better and bigger reputation. So, you know, I, I can turn that kind of energy, that egotistic energy, back into real hard work instead of standing out there bullshitting everybody with your chest sticking out and increase my business, which is what I'm anxious to do. What is, uh, we talk about the downside, uh, what's, what's the upside? What are the rewards of being a person manager? Is <laughs> that goes on? <laughs> well, uh, um, if you love this business, like I do, and you eat, sleep, and drink it, then every day is a reward to be able to work in this business. This is like, you know, this is like a kid in a candy store who doesn't know which candy bar to pick. I mean, to me, every day you wake up, you work with this record or that record or this radio station, that radio station. It's all the things that I dreamt about doing my whole life, so I'm doing it in real life now. So the upside and the reward for me is doing what I do. You know, obviously there's the financial rewards. Uh, which can be great. Uh, you had experience with a wacko group, the Savannah Band. You've right. got some individuals now. Any advantages, a band as opposed to a single artist? Um, well, a single artist provided that, you know, that their head is screwed on correctly, and there's no telling uh, that it is or it isn't until after you get to work with them for at least a year or so. Like anything, it's like a marriage. You know, you have to learn each other's idiosyncrasies and each other's uh, weak points and strong points and how to work with people. It makes it easier, obviously, for one person as opposed to dealing with five distinct, uh, strong, egotistical personalities because then it becomes almost unbearable, which was the case in the Savannah Band. How, did you know. you, uh, how much involved were you trying to keep it together? Or? I tried desperately to keep it together because it was, it was at the time... When the Savannah Band broke, it was recognized, and I'm sure you know this yourself, it was recognized as the most significantly unique music to come along in years. I mean, it, it took the business by storm. Every record executive, every artist, every um, uh, anybody who mattered, including the consumer, was carrying that Savannah Band album under their arm. Okay. Oh, what's that? Oh, all right, I'll drink it. I'll sip it.
sorry about the interruption. Okay, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Ron. Yeah, that was, and, and they didn't, and it was over and over, like a shooting star. It came and went like that, you know. What was the problem? Um, you want to put the machine back on? Or you just... Yeah, it's fine. Okay, oh, okay. Um, well, the two leaders of the band were brothers, uh, stepbrothers, and one of the brothers was the boyfriend of the lead singer, Corey Day, the girl. And so you had all this, like, bad blood amongst themselves, and they were, like, constantly fighting and arguing and egos, and they came from the lowest poverty in the ghetto, in the South Bronx, that you could ever imagine. And they had, you know, that, that, that attitude pervaded and permeated their lives and everything, and it came out in their song, you know, their, their songs were like bittersweet, really. Uh, and, but their attitude was that this is never really going to last, this is never going to continue to happen, we don't really give a shit. Uh, and we're just going to do what we want, how we want, and we're going to goof off all we want, and we don't have any regard or respect for anybody or anything, and we're just going to be the little punks that we always were our whole lives. And that attitude permeated every aspect of what they did. When they did an interview, when they were with the record executives, when they were with program directors, and everybody just finally said, hey, you know, we don't need this. We love your music, but there comes a time when you got to draw the line. And that was it. And it just, everybody started turning them, you know, turning their backs to them one at a time. The fighting amongst them uh, amongst themselves uh, continued and, and really got bad, and they just they broke up. If if something like that happened now, and you're much mature, and you're ten years into the management, could you handle it? Could you keep them together? Um. Well, you can only keep yeah. people together if they want to stay together. You know, uh, if Hall and Oates really did not want to stay together and be together, even though I'm with them for 16 years, and they're two of my closest friends in the whole world, uh, and vice versa, there'd be no way that I could keep them together. You know, Could a, uh, I mean, even for financial reasons, you know, if people really didn't want to be together, and if I said you're going to make twenty million dollars this year, they really wouldn't stay together. <laughs> isn't that isn't that a uh, a weird thing in our business? How it's crazy. Break up yeah. ongoing businesses. That's Beatles, right. Beatles. That's right. People like that. That's right. There's no, nothing like that. That's right. Where you break up combinations. No, no. <laughs> you know, fortunately for Hall and Oates, they're smart enough to know that. They can do things individually, and they're going to be getting, you know, doing an album. The next album will be a Hall and Oates album, and you know, well, and get Hall back to Well, with Hall and Oates initially, and then with Savannah Band uh, yeah. and, and Odyssey, you were, you were there. You were the guy. Right. Now you've got a rather extensive client list. There's uh, they're spread out. They're right. a lot bigger. Uh, how do you deal? Uh, they all want you eventually, don't they? No matter yeah. how competent the people at, are. At the end of the day, I'm ultimately responsible yeah. and I have the obligation to them and for everything that happens uh, out of this office and any extensions that happen as a result of any of people under my employ or whatever. So it is, it is, it's a 20-hour a day, seven-day-a-week job. Simple as that. So there's some finite line then that you can't take on many more clients. Uh, a manager, in my opinion can only handle a, a certain amount of artists really well. Uh, you can't take on 20 clients like an agent who is strictly a deal maker. You have to have the ability to give that personal time and attention uh, to each one of them. Otherwise, they're going to become dissatisfied and that'll be the end of your relationship. So basically, you know, if there's anything that we feel really important 
about getting involved with, we, we have to consider that very, very strongly because as far as I'm concerned, we're doing pretty much you know what we want to do right now. You're, you're still a young man, right. relatively, but to some 26 or 27-year-old, you're an older man. Right. Uh, is there a shot for some guy to come along? And how do you deal with the changes in music, dealing with 22-year-old acts now? Uh, right. How, how do you See, I think it's great. Uh, I looked at myself coming up through the ranks, and at the time, uh, like, my whole motivation and inspiration, I mean, I looked at guys like you, and I looked, like, I looked at Clive Davis, and I looked at Ahmed Erdogan, and I looked at, you know, the big managers in those days, and it was all so intimidating. But my motivation was, someday I'm going to knock those guys out of the box, and I'm going to be up there with them. And there are hundreds and thousands of young guys out there looking at guys like me and anyone in our positions with, with a lot of envy uh, and a lot of enthusiasm. And I think that that's what keeps the business young and fresh and creative and vital. Uh, and the new artists coming up, I think it's, I think it's great. You know, I mean, I think that we, we need so much more of that because I think right now we're going through a, a very dull period. I think music is real dull. There's nothing new and exciting going on at all at the moment. Not really. Is there any place that somebody can learn how to be a manager? Uh, is, how, how would you do it? You, you, you can't go to school. Now. Yeah. You, well, you can't go to school for it. You've got you've to take a job either with a management company or you go to work for a publisher like I did. And, and being a publisher, you get an opportunity to work with managers, producers, record companies, artists, all those avenues, the same way that I did. And you get a feel for it. And you read. And you do your homework. And you hang out in the clubs. And you listen. And you keep your ear to the ground. I mean, I did it night and day. And I ate, slept, and drank the whole thing until I learned enough to try and do it on my own. Uh, and that's really the only way to do it. You know, or you get a job at a record company and you start in the A&R department screening material. There's a million different ways to do it. You know. I remember uh, when Irving Azoff branched out and made some movies, uh, some of the clients were not thrilled about it. Right. Uh, do you lay yourself open to that kind of uh, nitpicking? Or, uh, um, so far, I have not encountered that problem. I think everyone uh, in this day and age, particularly now, are probably more open to that kind of thing because... I think that it's a more multimedia business and it kind of spreads across every aspect of what's going on and I am involved in uh, producing some films and uh, doing soundtracks and all that kind of stuff. And I think that everyone understands that and recognizes it and in most cases people are involved in it as well who are our clients, you know, in some cases anyway. I mean, for instance, um, Carly Simon did the Heartburn soundtrack. Um, Daryl Hall, I put Daryl Hall and uh, Dave Stewart and Mick Jagger together, and we did the title theme for Ruthless People. Um, so, you know, those things will continue. And I think that, uh, uh, I don't know if John Mellencamp will get involved with any soundtracks per se, but he certainly might consider doing a song uh, in a film if it's something that means something to him, or maybe certainly one of his own films. You know, that kind of thing. If, if a relative of yours who uh, knew nothing about the music business asked you, what's the music business like? Well, from your perspective, right. but, uh, I try, I, at the moment especially, but what is it I like? would try to discourage him. As a matter of fact, I did try to discourage a relative of mine, my nephew. Why? Uh, uh, I don't know. It's just, 
you know, it seems it's 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 a real, it's really hard. Um, you've got to be a certain kind of personality. You've got to have a certain kind of uh, sensibility, yet aggressiveness uh, and personality, all wrapped into one to be able to really go all the way. And if you really can't go all the way in this business, I certainly don't know if I would want to wish all of the other crap on a relative of mine, you know, that goes along with it, because there could be a lot of crap that goes along with Is this. Is it still from your standpoint, uh, or not still, but from your standpoint, is it all sleaze in the, in the music business? I don't think so. I mean, if you've been in the movie business, then you know that we, uh, we pale by comparison. <laughs> uh, record companies, what, what, is, what is a manager, a successful manager's perception uh, of record companies? Um, they're the people that we have to work with on a daily basis um, for our artists to continue to uh, get our points across and our artists' uh, integrity and credibility to be maintained at all times, to, uh, to do a better job, to push them to do a better job at the marketing of our artists, uh, at the merchandising of our artists, publicizing them, promoting them. That's why I've taken on a bigger burden and decided to do a lot of that in-house so that we can become a catalyst and an adjunct and in fact a supplement to the record company for whomever we're working with. Is that a danger that they're going to say, well look, you're doing it? <laughs> uh, we, we run into that sometimes, but I think intelligently handled, uh, you, you cut that off at the pass right away and we make it real clear, look, you're the big guys, you're the big shots, you're the big guns, we're just here to help and to fill in the holes and to pick up the slack where necessary and let's form a bond and let's make a team out of this right away so that we can all work you know and get more results out of this record for this artist than you would get alone or we would get alone. What, what would a modus operandi be if uh, John Mellencamp's ready with an album to deliver the program? What would you, Tommy Mottola, then do? Well we sit in-house here as, as, as a matter of fact we're thinking of putting a record out the summer of 87 on John Mellencamp that's basically his um, his schedule. It'll be an album at the end of the summer, probably. And we're, we're already in-house formulating all the marketing plans and merchandising. Uh, we've already met with most of the executives of Polygram and kicked around some ideas. We looked at every detail in retail, in radio, in concert attendance, uh, every aspect of what happened with the last record. We, all, we have it on our computers. We have that information right in front of us. We can pinpoint markets, demographics, where we fell short, where we did great, where we're going to have to pick up the ball a little more next time, where we're going to jam it harder uh, to, to increase uh, market awareness where we did great last time. So we go through things in a methodical way, uh, again, unlike most people uh, doing this kind of thing. Uh, and we're putting that together now six to seven months in advance of that album coming out so that the day that we drop that album into the streets at least we have every possible advantage going into that record that you could possibly conceive of you know your results are going to be your results but at least we're giving it every possible conceivable chance that it could possibly have to do well now do you involve yourself to a great extent in all this? I'm, I'm, I involve myself in every aspect of it
Well, then what do you yeah. do? Uh, you have to uh, be very careful in your scheduling. Very. If you get a go <laughs> on a picture, or you get, uh, when two artists come up with it. Right. <laughs> well, for the most part with films, okay, for, as far as artists coming out with records at the same time, we've been lucky so far and we haven't had any conflicts. Uh, there could come the time when that happens and we'll deal with it accordingly, but again, we have the backup here to be able to handle that, in my opinion, with no problem at, at all. Okay. As far as a film goes, um, my time will be needed when that happens, uh, but I'm not going to be a line producer per se, so my involvement will be, you know, there, but peripheral more than on the, on the you know, right on the day-to-day -day line schedule. And I have someone here in-house that works on all the film projects with me anyway, who will be there on a day-to-day -day basis if necessary. So I've already covered, you know, that part of it for us already. Because it could come the time when that does happen. Um, we want to be more involved, I personally want to be more involved in getting the properties, developing them, uh, and getting them to the point of getting them made. Is it still necessary for you to be out on the road? When, uh, Absolutely. And, Absolutely. And you do the tour? Uh, I go out on the road, and I would never like to not go on the road as much of a pain in the ass as it is for a couple of reasons. It's absolutely primary and necessary uh, uh, for me to have a hands-on involvement with the artist and to see what's going on out there personally with my own eyes and ears, okay, number one. Number two, it gives you a perception and an awareness leaving New York City which is an island unto itself, or L.A., which has absolutely nothing to do with the rest of the world, that is vital to my business. So from those points of view, it's, it's absolutely necessary. You go on the whole trip? No. No. I pick all the good places. I pick all the good spots. Yeah. Oshkosh, Wisconsin, I don't think, you know. In Odessa, Texas, I shouldn't say. Up to this point, if uh, in these years, if you could pinpoint yeah. one time frame where... It was the best and the most exciting. And that does not mean it's over for Missouri. Yeah. It's all right. Is there a time frame? Was it the first hit records? Or? Yeah, it was the first hit records, definitely. For uh, it was the first. It was the very beginning because, you know, it was it was the dream. Uh, you know, the dream was, oh God, if I could only be in the music business. Okay, now I'm in the music business. Oh God, if I could only achieve having a gold record for my artists because obviously I bombed out as a musician and an artist and I can now vicariously do this through these people and achieve uh, some sort of recognition and, and gratification. Uh, and that was, the, that was the most exciting time, really. Uh, and you know, now it's, it's a matter of, um, of achievement and, uh, well, and sweet, competitive. Sweet too to come back after, uh, after getting knocked off too. To come back after getting knocked off was the, the great, you know, very the most fortunate uh, and blessed thing that ever happened to me. And we broke our ass and worked real hard at doing it, but a lot of guys do that and don't get the shot. And the door opened and we got the shot and we had the good timing and luck to go along with it, which is at least 50% in this business, at least, okay? Uh, and basically we broke through and um, started the ball rolling again and then Hall & Oates had like 20 hit records in a row and the rest is the rest well thank you okay that's terrific